I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. What's up, everybody? It's Christian. Now, I want to assure you that we're working on some interesting new episodes in the near future. But this time, we're going to take a slight turn and discuss one of everyone's favorite subjects, food. Anthony Disson is an educator, and he's a registered dietitian. In this episode, Anthony shares his thoughts on the health food craze. Has it become a fashion statement? I tend to think it has. Now, we're going to discuss why he chose to study food, the role of corn in the economy, why processed foods are cheaper, how much water is being wasted, and why he chooses to say he eats a plant-based diet instead of calling himself a vegan. This one's a lot of fun, folks. Get ready. So this is Christian Perez here with Anthony Disson. How are you doing today, Anthony? I'm doing excellent. How is your day starting now? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So looking here, looking at, uh, I've got a copy of your syllabus here, which is always, always fun. It always gives a lot of good insight. Um, it says that you have your master's and you're also an RD. What's an RD? So I'm a registered dietitian. Okay, and yeah. what does that entail? So a registered dietitian is a little different from a nutritionist okay. in that, you know, state by state, for the most part, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. Like, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it's just sort of like, it's like, I think it's like calling yourself a financial planner. Like, it's just okay. one of those things where anyone <laughs> can really say. But with an RD, it's a medical credential, so okay. you have very specific bachelor's, undergraduate studies, and then you do a year-long clinical rotation where you're working in hospitals, outpatient clinics, rehab clinics, OBGYN, all sorts of things, learning about medical nutrition therapy. And then every five years, we have a certain amount of continuing education credits we have to continue to do. So it's nutrition from from a research, from a medical, from a health point of view. And I really wanted to have that credential so that it would give me the ability to work in a variety of different fields with yeah. nutrition. Definitely makes you a little bit to, to sell more. So I, I didn't realize that about nutritionists. That's interesting. So there's like no regulation for that? No. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And I mean, I'm sure there are great people sure out there too. who are doing great work, but because I mean... I think one of my cousins might be a nutritionist. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. No, I'm just teasing, but go ahead. But I mean, that's the thing. It's like anyone can put up a website yeah, on yeah, yeah. Squarespace and say, I'm a nutrition expert. I'm a, I'm a nutritionist. And maybe they've got amazing skills and yeah. knowledge, or maybe they read a book and now they're yeah. calling themselves a nutritionist. So it's it's hard to get quality information. I think that's why there's such confusion about food and nutrition is uh-huh. there are people who are excellent speakers, who mm-hmm. are very charismatic, who know how to market themselves, yeah. who don't know anything about actual biology or nutrition or physiology, but people believe what they say because they're really good at how they say it. Okay. I mean, that, that's something I definitely think we, we can revisit a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hear all this stuff about like uh, fruit smoothies and whatnot, and you realize it's just nothing but a big pile of sugar 
or you hear things. I mean, obviously not like yeah. fresh fruit, but just some of the stuff that they sell oh, yeah. on TV. I mean, <laughs> absolutely, it, 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 it's um, ludicrous. My favorite example is um, there's a supplement out there called Juice Plus. Juice Plus. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but uh, maybe I, mean, I might have seen it on you, the show. But the big thing, and it's not a dangerous thing, but it's you take these little pills, and some of them are red, and some of them are green, <laughs> and it's like. Each pill has like a bushel of apples or a bushel of kale or broccoli and they sort of it's this marketing it's like oh it's all this juice and yeah. fruit and Instead veggie. Of just eating the fruits and yeah, it's like I'll just pop this powder pill that's not the same thing, but people spend tons yeah. of money on it. And people yeah. make money marketing it and selling it and being distributors for it and it's not it's not doing anything. It's not eating an apple. It's not eating a stalk of broccoli. It's taking a supplement. Well, let me, let me just jump into that, though. Do you think a big part of the whole health food fad is, is basically just a fashion statement with some people? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and I think that's another issue that prevents people from really becoming more invested, I think, in their health is there's there's a lot of privilege about food. Okay. and. When food and nutrition and health started to really gain more popularity, it got immediately sucked up by, yeah, by, by marketing, by kind of the sexy complexes Everything's out there. Yeah. Where now it's, you know, oh, well, it's this juice fast or this cleanse or yeah. this detox supplement. Or you can't just eat regular rice. You have to eat heirloom rice that's yeah. 50,000 generations old or... I shouldn't eat food unless it was grown according to the lunar cycle. And it just makes everything so complicated. So you either freeze and don't do anything. Okay. Or you think, I've got to mortgage my home now to have all this extra money. I have to go to some person's clinic in New Mexico because they're the expert of some aspect of food or nutrition or it's like health. It's a scene almost. It is. It's, it's, it's just a, it's like a hipster scene. Like okay. it's just... Another way to take something like <laughs> food or any part and make it hierarchical. The where, hipsters are taking over. Or, or it's all about, well, if you don't have the money for it or you don't have the social status for it or whatever, it, it just makes it segregated. And yeah. so now it's, oh, well, I don't have enough money to be healthy. Where ironically, the healthiest foods are usually the cheapest foods. I think Gwyneth Paltrow got into trouble within the past year or two because she was trying to live on a, like a more meager budget. And she went to the store and she bought all these bougie food items. Oh my so god! Yeah. Feed a family with that. The nutritional value isn't what we think it is, and she's just caught up in this scene. And she she gets in trouble for a lot of that stuff. A lot, oh, of, the, a lot uh, of the unhealthy things that she that she pushes on people. Absolutely. I mean, you see it all the time. And I can't remember. Oh heck, I can't remember who it was. But there was a celebrity out there who was talking about all these like colonics and colon hydrotherapy or. Um, oh no, and that's what it was. I'm sorry. It was um, Beyonce with the Master Cleanse. Okay. Which is this thing you do, <laughs> which is this thing you do where you make this lemonade every day, which is water, cayenne pepper, grade B maple syrup, and lemon juice. I think I fell for that one. Oh, I mean, I've done it myself too, because <laughs> just because I was like, I want to know what this feels like. Yeah. And you do that, and yeah, you lose a lot of weight, obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, but then everybody started to do Master Cleanse, and yeah. you can go into a Whole Foods now, and they sell bottled cayenne pepper lemonade because it's like the chic trendy thing is to drink this and I don't know anybody that's ever been harmed by it but yeah. it's we'd rather do that than do simpler things or because somebody famous or rich or or powerful did it it must be true okay I mean so I guess at the end of the day the simplest thing to do is just eat a balanced diet and exercise yeah I mean it's 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 folk medicine at its best. It's yeah. keep your body moving. It's eat food that is actually nourishing for you yeah. um, the healthiest foods don't get commercials 
Like you don't see like there's food that's actually healthy, doesn't get commercials, it doesn't get advertised, it doesn't have a lot of commercial um, energy behind it. So it's usually the food that gets marketed and rubbed in our face the most is the stuff we should avoid the most. Okay, I mean, like I've heard um, corn is obviously heavily subsidized, and I oh, get yeah. into conversations with people about what American corn has done to Mexico and why are there a lot of Mexican people coming to the United States. Um, and that's another conversation mm-hmm. for another day. But what I, I didn't realize, I was listening to an interview today um, with a woman, I believe her name is uh, Marion Nessel. She's yes. a sociologist. Okay, so you've heard of her. She's um, wonderful. Really great interview. Apparently fruits and vegetables are not subsidized. So I guess there's like these hand-picked crops like corn, but uh, just everyday things like fruits, vegetables are not subsidized. And that raises the price because of, because of that. Exactly right. Yeah, it makes, it le- makes them le- less accessible. I mean, that, that, that's... that's it's a shame. It is. So we have this thing called the Farm Bill, okay. which among many things that it does, it determines which crops are subsidized by the federal government. Mm. So if you wanted to start a farm and you were going to grow potatoes, potatoes are not subsidized. So you don't really have anybody helping to back you financially. So yes. if your crop fails, your crop failed. And now you're either out of business or you have to go into debt. But if you say you want to raise corn, which is unbelievably subsidized yeah every corn cob that you grow could die the federal government will pay you for it yeah i mean they rake in huge profits that don't pay any of that absolutely back. so we want to talk about welfare right? oh i mean exactly right I, <laughs> so it's if you're a farmer starting off i mean it's there's a real fear to not grow subsidized products because now all of the financial pressures on you but so now we have this epic amount of corn and other subsidized products that make the food artificially cheap yeah. So most of Michael Pollan talks about this all the time, where most of our food is just redesigned corn. It either has corn starch, corn sugar, high mm-hmm. fructose corn syrup, regular corn syrup, um, corn meal, because we have this mountain of corn. It's essentially free. We're using it for ethanol also. Oh my God, yeah, absolutely. And the the thing with ethanol is that on the one side, yes, it burns cleaner than petroleum, mm-hmm. but now we are turning all of this usable land and to create these monocultures of just corn or just wheat or just soybeans where we're losing all this biodiversity Um, it's incredibly taxing on the soil to just keep growing one crop over and over so but it's it's we've all we have to do something with all this corn and so we keep finding new ways to work with it where i could get corn products that are heavily manufactured and heavily processed and they're cheaper than an apple which went through no manufacturing no processing but it costs more. Yeah, and so it makes it harder to buy other foods or to not buy yeah. a lot of processed food. I mean, the, the, I mean, it just the power of corn. I mean, I, like I said, I was doing some research and I found that the U.S. exports 40% of the world's corn. It's insane. And that, and that, yeah, I, I had no idea. Crops, the largest amount of crops tend to come from single countries, like mm-hmm. single exporters. So for instance, China uh, exports 25% of, of the world's rice and that gives them all... All, all kinds of power. Corn has been called the uh, the crop of the 21st century. Yeah, uh, piggybacking on what you just said, and just revisiting ethanol. How how has ethanol affected the corn industry? I mean, do do you are there any rumblings about uh, you know people moving towards biodiesel? Um, has has that? Well, it it makes it harder to look at other fuel sources because why would you? Yeah, we have all this corn. It's cheap. All these farmers are growing it. Corn nowadays, the technology. I mean, it's all done through GPS. Yeah. I mean, so it's all done through technology. So it's a very easy crop to grow. So if we're looking at other forms of renewable energy or bioenergy or biomass thermo energy, why? So yeah. it 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 
kills the momentum or it keeps people from wanting to explore other things because we have all of this resource available and it, it, it seems to cloud our vision of looking at other things because why not just use the corn? Mm. And now the corn in America is so cheap that other countries around the world that are trying to grow corn can't export it because why am I going to buy their more expensive corn? So it's unbelievably damaging to other economies throughout the world that used to grow a lot of these grains and now can't because they can't compete with the price of this heavily federally subsidized corn. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I tell people is corn is such a big part of Mexican folklore, mm -hmm. of Mexican culture, that they're, they're, they're genesis. Like, their origin myth is that the people actually came from the corn. So when we flooded their market through through um, policies like NAFTA, through trade deals like NAFTA, we flooded the Mexican economy with cheap subsidized American corn, mm -hmm. and that sent all those people out of work. Yeah. And where are they going to come? They're going to come here, and then Donald Trump, and it's a whole big, it's a whole big problem. We could, we can. Oh, I know. That. We could spend all day talking about that. Um, we see the same thing in livestock raising and in, in, in meat production, where you know, a great percentage of the people working are undocumented workers, mm -hmm. and so nobody ever looks to see how a lot of these companies actually go to Mexico or go to other countries. They Recruit. are recruiting them exactly, and yeah. so they'll bring them over. Um, and then, yeah, politically, we turn around and say, oh, these people are coming here and they're trying to take our jobs or whatever. And nobody ever says, well, the companies are the ones saying, we have all this amazing yeah, work for you come here. Factors. And then they come, they have no rights, they can't organize, they don't have a voice, they're under constant fear of... Yeah, of the perfect labor. Exactly. Uh, 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 group, uh, labor, labor people, too. It's Workers. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing it here. Where do you stand on food being used for energy instead of uh, being eaten? How do you feel about that? Can there be a balance? There definitely can be. I mean, we produce enough food right now. I think it's to feed about 10 billion people. Yeah. And so... Well, real quick, let me throw this out there. Yeah. 40% of the food in the U.S. is never eaten. Mm -hmm. That equates to about 20 pounds per person per month, um, $165 billion a year wasted. That is that, that blows my mind. It's enough food to fill 730 football stadiums. I don't know exactly what that means or how high we're going, <laughs> but it's something to think about. Yeah. Um, we consume, I believe, in the U.S., one-third of the world's food supply. I mean, and... So and that, that's, I mean, just talking about abundance. Um, yeah, we, we, we have more than enough food not only to feed everybody, but yeah, then there's all this biomass available for different sources of energy. And mm -hmm. so if we're worried about fossil fuel use, if we're worried about using up our petroleum and, and, the, and the greenhouse gases that releases... There's nothing wrong with using these 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 agricultural products, at least in my opinion, of using them for fuel. But the problem is, like you said, we most of us goes to waste either because we buy it and chuck it. Some of the farmers, they actually it's more expensive of, for them to finish harvesting their crops, so they'll just let them rot in the field mm. because it's cheaper just to let it rot. Again, especially if it's a lot of subsidized food. Oh, we'll just yeah. who cares? We'll just let yeah. it go. And so yeah, there's not all already. There's more than enough food to feed everybody. Every single person, and then have plenty of food left over. Are we talking in the United States? Or and the whole world. Globally? Oh, globally. Okay. And um, companies like, you know, Monsanto and other, and other groups that are... The boogeyman. Yeah. <laughs> that always get blamed for everything, and yeah. there's definitely reason for it. But the thought is we have this poverty mentality of, well, we've got to feed the world. We, there's not enough... We could change nothing in our practices. There's more than enough food to feed everybody. It's... Yeah. Most of it goes to waste. Um, ninety percent of our soy is used to feed livestock. About mm. I think it's sixty or seventy percent of our corn is used to feed livestock. So there's 
unbelievable um, loss of nutrition by not just feeding people the corn or the soy or the wheat, but it goes through the secondary yeah. process with our obsession with all this livestock food, all of the water and all the energy and everything that's used for it, where we could have food to spare if we figured out a way to transport it more sustainably and get it to people in a more sustainable way that didn't cause all this waste um, and that wasn't going through all these secondary means of finally being ingested. Well, how are... Um... How are animal farms and environmental degradation uh, related? So the UN's um, IPCC, their Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, their statement that they have made constantly is animal agriculture is the number one contributor to climate change. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just listening to something on the way up. Um, there's a great documentary out there that just came out on Netflix uh, called Cowspiracy. Cowspiracy? Yeah, Cowspiracy. Okay. I, I can't recommend it enough to people. It's incredible. And it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, yeah. Right. which is Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's what all the kids are Somebody saying. just informed me. They're like, do you know what that means? I'm like, I don't know. Watch movies and relax. They're yeah. like, it's not. <laughs> um, we're, oh, um, it used to be called Blockbuster and Chill. I know, right? Way back when. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to an interview that uh, some of the, the creators of the documentary were talking about. So... Transportation accounts for about 13% of all the greenhouse gas emissions. Wow. Animal agriculture accounts for 51%. Unbelievable. So, yes, I can change my light bulbs and I can recycle and I can take shorter showers and buy a hybrid and all these things that we do. But the m most impactful thing on our environment is our animal agriculture. So they are unbelievably intertwined where if we really care about climate change about environmental health it all comes down to we can no longer support this very unsustainable way of producing food yeah we need to cut back i mean that's that, that's amazing just mm -hmm. it just missed misdirected uh focus oh absolutely like i mean that's usually how, how politics works I, I try to tell my students that you know there's what's seen and then of course there's always what's unseen yes i mean um when, when the drought in California was getting a lot of attention, I don't know if you heard this, but a lot of people were blaming almond milk. Yeah, and I heard alfalfa farms also. Oh, yes. Well, because the big thing with alfalfa, well, the big thing, everybody was like, it's our obsession with almonds. And it kind of, it's like, was well, all the almond <laughs> I milk. I heard almond milk is a scam, though. It's basically oh. just almonds and water, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all any of the plant milks yeah. are. Just almonds ground up in water, whatever it is that it might be. But the alfalfa really is the biggest contributor because... We don't really eat alfalfa. Maybe we eat alfalfa sprouts, but humans don't eat alfalfa. It's for all animals, used for animals. Right? And California exports, I believe, 100 billion gallons worth of water in the form of alfalfa. While they're having the middle, while they're, while in, they're in the middle of this drought, to China to mm. feed their livestock. Mm. And so again, this this the way that we grow food in the form of livestock, it is. The number one contributor of soil erosion, number one contributor to dead zones in the ocean, number one user of our water, uh, number one producer of greenhouse gases. I mean, it all comes down to animal agriculture. And the there has to be a way that we shift it because it is sucking all of our resources up and changing our climate more than anything else. Um, you just said something I'd never heard of. What is a dead zone in the ocean? So dead zones in the ocean occur where the water in that particular part of the ocean no longer has enough oxygen in it to support marine life. And what happens is the fertilizers and the carbon and the waste from animal agriculture gets washed out into the ocean. When all that fertilizer, carbon, and nutrients goes into the ocean, it causes 
huge blooms of algae to grow mm. and the algae sucks all the oxygen out of the water ah. and then the water is no longer able to support marine life that's i you're blowing my mind yeah. again <laughs> I mean, food, food there's there's a lot going on here well let's 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 take a step back and, and try to be a little bit uh let's try to cheer everybody up a little bit. so <laughs> i'm gonna ask about you so why do you love food so much what, what made you want to study food and eating and health Food for me is the thing I get the most pleasure from. I, I hear that. I love, I've always, since I was a kid, have always really loved food, the act of cooking food, the act of eating food. I There's just nothing, when I go on vacation or travel, I don't think about the sights I want to see. I think about what restaurants I want to eat at. Mm -hmm. It is just something for me that I have always just had the craziest love for. Okay. When did you decide to become a dietitian? So I... Wanted to become a dietitian, um, which probably, I guess, my senior year of high school slash summer before college, because I had never even heard of a dietitian up until that point. Actually, I can tell you the moment. It's, I was doing summer orientation at Rutgers, where I went for my undergrad, and you had to pick two major like presentations to go to. And at the point, I thought I wanted to be a virologist. I okay. thought I wanted to go into microbiology. And I went to the biology major lecture, and I hated it because it was so boring okay but you had to pick a second second one and i saw nutrition and i was like oh i never even thought of nutrition i went to the nutrition one and i left and said that, that's what i'm majoring in i just, just changed your life it, it, i had never thought about it as a career it was just something that always interested me and so um i went in the first day of my freshman year knowing that that was my dietetics was what i wanted to go into okay that's mm -hmm. great that's great to have have that kind of plan i mean it, it definitely makes things a lot easier when you have a goal that you're oh yeah with. so it, it gave me focus okay so you are a vegan yes correct when mm -hmm. did you when did you become a vegan and why did you make that choice so i started to eat a vegan diet the <coughs> um summer before my senior year of high school and the reason for that was i'd already been eating a vegetarian diet but wasn't really getting the kinds of changes in my health I was looking for. It had been kind of a slow process. I just started to lose interest in a lot of animal-based foods. Or I remember one time being at the ocean and I saw this little crab run out of the water and then run back in. And there was just something about looking at that crab. I thought, I, I can't eat that crab. I can't eat a crab again. I just couldn't do it. And so it was sort of a snowball effect. But then the summer before my senior year of high school, I went totally vegan and my health and body changed so dramatically that it just really seared itself in my consciousness. And okay, you felt a lot better? I absolutely, I had, I mean, like most teenagers, but I had horrifically bad skin and horrible mm -hmm. acne that in three months was gone when I changed wow. my diet. Um, I had like a walking pneumonia <laughs> up until that point. So it changed your whole life? Oh yeah, I mean, everything changed. My health changed, my interest in, in fitness and wellness changed. Everything shifted with that dietary change. I mean, and, and so when I went in then to college, I knew I wanted to continue to go into this. So, I mean, it set the course of my whole career. It set wow. the course of my life. That's, that's an yeah. interesting story. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of people being inspired, but I've never heard it being used in, uh, in, in dietetics. So um, what, are the, uh, what are some of the moral and political reasons you, you chose to become a vegan? So when I first started to eat a plant-based diet to go vegan, it was purely for my own personal health. And for the first several years, I was very just, what is this doing for my health? How is this going to help my health? But then since then, um, I've like, and this happens with a lot of people, I've since started to realize 
other reasons why people choose to eat a plant-based diet or other reasons why a more plant-based diet is so helpful. So from the environmental point of view, and we've talked a little bit about this already, is just you know animal-based foods, at least the way that we currently graze and grow them, it is just so impactful on the environment. And so if I'm an environmentalist, if I'm somebody who cares about the environment, and I consider myself somebody that does, you know, I can't in good conscience support an industry that is the number one contributor to, again, yeah, degradation of the soil. Number one reason we lose rainforest is to grow cattle. Mm. And the loss of forest is so important because natural forests are the number one sequesters of carbon. And so when we lose forest and we replace it with grassland or grazing land, um, we, we have this tremendous release of carbon into the atmosphere. When we allow forests to grow back, they trap all the carbon. And so if I don't want to support rainforest destruction, I can't be eating a ton of, of, of cattle. I can't be eating a lot of animal foods. Um, another thing that Again, going back to the whole water thing is it, it requires a lot of water to produce animal food. Mm -hmm. It's something like 30 gallons of water will make a pound of potatoes. It takes about 2,500 gallons of water to make a pound of beef. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's actually pretty conservative. There are some estimates that it could be as high as 5,000 gallons of water. So pound for pound, animal foods naturally require a lot more water. Um, I think it's something about 50% of all the grain raised in the United States goes to feed animal agriculture. And we lose about 26-fold nutrients when it goes into an animal. So for every 26 calories I feed a cow, it'll give me a calorie back. Mm. So we lose a lot of protein. We lose a it's lot of wasteful. nutrients. And it's not that we have to get rid of all animal-based food, but it's our obsession with it, our our using animal food as such the mainstay of our diet, whether it's eggs, dairy, meat, fish, poultry, pork, these things. Crappy beef jerky that oh, yeah. sell at 7-Eleven or something I mean, like it, 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 it requires epic amounts of resources where most plant-based foods require very little. And you get a more immediate conversion of nutrients into your body versus going about it secondarily. Wow. Politically, or at least from a more human rights point of view, is a lot of the the slaughterhouses or a lot of the the feedlots where these animal foods are being raised is the workers are being treated horrifically where uh, I think ranchers especially cattle ranchers have something like three times the suicide rate because of how deep into debt they go the smells they smell the things they see the pressure they're under um, it's a very violent type of industry and it's not just violent towards the animals and a lot of people look at animal welfare but it's human welfare as well. Yeah, what, what sent a shock down my spine was yesterday. I actually had a a, a woman from an organization called Vegan Outreach. Okay. She spoke to my class. And this kind of really sent a shock down my spine is obviously to get milk, right? Uh, cows have to be pregnant. Mm -hmm. So when they inseminate them, they, they use something called a rape rack. Yes. I heard that and I was just like, wow, that, that was kind of, mm -hmm. I don't know, I just didn't like the way that sounded. It was, I mean, and the fact that they would throw that around and be so open about it. Obviously, we know what you're doing, but when you throw around words like that, you kind of trivialize it almost. Yeah, and make real cavalier about it. Act. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's, it. It's crazy. Can you discuss the relationship between food and religion or culture? Sure. I mean, to start at least from the cultural point of view, I mean, every 
culture. I mean, culture itself, it is said to have started based on food. Mm -hmm. um, the the anthropologists believe and, and, and talk about how it's when we started to cook our food that not only did that make our food more digestible, where we were able to have this much more efficient way to absorb nutrition, allowed our brains to grow. I mean, it, it literally leapt us forward in our evolution when we started to cook food versus eating our food raw. But then the act of cooking food created community. It, it, it was the hearth around which we started to settle down as larger and larger tribes. societies that brought people together. Exactly. I mean, so the whole idea of society or civilization or culture is based on when we changed the way we approached our food. Hmm. And you take any culture on the planet, and, and food is everything that has to do with celebration. It's how we mourn. It's how we mark times of the year. Mm. Um, and so food is something that is so, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one of Maslow's human needs. You know, it's yeah. our foundational, we can't live without food. And I could go the rest of my life and not exercise, uh -huh. but I can't not eat. And so looking at at how food is very much intermittent and completely interwoven with our with our cultural identities is crucial but on the flip side of that is we often it is hard then to make changes in our diet or make changes in our behavior because we have such connection to our culture but we don't often ask where does those cultural habits come from mm -hmm. so like within the african american community there's a lot of people uh, there's a lot of African-American activists who are trying to change perception of soul food mm -hmm. um, because it's it's such I mean, it's such unhealthy food. It's such yeah. poverty based food. And there are like these the Irish and their cabbage and corned beef. I mean, I, well, I got to say, I think the cabbage is probably pretty good. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we, we, we all every culture kind of has it its the least desirable aspects of the food. Yeah, it's, it's cooked, yeah, the way it's prepared. Yeah. And, and, and people don't want to change that because, well, that's our culture. That's our yeah. identity. But if you look a little further back and say, well, why did that become part of our identity? Yeah. Is it because of slavery? Is it because of segregation? Is it because of. Uh, uh, prejudice is it because of oh you're you're part of group x y or z so you get the bad food yeah. give it a couple generations now we kind of forget it and we say oh no this is part of my heritage yeah. this is part of my history but i think if we become better students of history and kind of look back more we realize like oh these some of these habits that aren't the most health producing right. come from very frightening backgrounds but we forget it over the course of time yeah i mean um I mean, balance is important. I mean, I'm Puerto Rican, um, just like Italians. Uh, you can love that food. You're not supposed to eat that stuff every day. When you get wrapped up into that, it, it can really make you un unhealthy. Like, mm -hmm. I love traditional Puerto Rican uh, cuisine, but you can't eat that every day. It, it's, it'll, it'll, it'll mess you up. Right. Um, <laughs> and then from the religion point of view or the mm -hmm. spiritual point of view, I mean, a lot of traditional religions especially some eastern ones but i mean you really find this in in so many it's there's a lot of of ritual around food there's a lot of belief around food in every culture has oh absolutely yeah. uh, in in hinduism in jainism there's a concept of ahimsa which is non-violence so within certain practicing sects of that they don't eat animal foods because it's considered to be violent i mean so Cultural beliefs, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs always at some point will come back to how do we eat because we, whether we are consciously aware of it or not, I mean, it is so tied up in our identity is what am I preparing for my food? Yeah. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you another question uh, coming from another angle. Let me ask you this. What, what is a food that can be eaten every day? <laughs> um, 
Oh. I've heard beans are really good. Yeah, oh, you read my mind. I okay. was going to say beans, lentils, and peas, legumes. Okay. They should be eaten every day. The, the healthiest cultures on earth base their diets around those foods. So you said beans, peas, peas lentils. Lentils, like, lentils. Yeah, I mean, and, and for a variety of reasons. So they're inexpensive. They are filling. They're incredibly nutritious and health-promoting. They help to restore fertility in the soil because a lot of these legumes are nitrogen fixers, and so they can actually help uh, depleted soil gain some of its vitality back. Uh, the, the, the impact on health is incredible, and you can find them anywhere. I mean, you can go into essentially almost any place that sells food, and you can get them canned or dried or whatever works for your, your culinary convenience, but just to get a cup of those in a day, That's see what starts to happen. A very close second place, I would say, to legumes are potatoes. Okay. White potatoes, sweet potatoes, same thing. They're cheap. They're unbelievably nutritious. They're incredibly filling. Um... And, and they really help to give our bodies the kind of nutritional inputs it needs to really start to feel healed in a way that they, they're easy to prepare and they are inexpensive. If nothing else, they are inexpensive. That, I mean, that, that's definitely a plus. I, I grew up eating beans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. Not too many people say that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's weird. I mean, I mean, it's just culturally how you mm-hmm. grew up. So I grew up eating a lot of rice and beans. Yeah. And I've come across people who... When they get served rice, they treat it like it's a side of corn. Oh, you yeah. Know, you can mix it with broth. Like you can, mm-hmm. There's so, you can, so much you can do. With it, and people just don't really, you know, for me, it's a huge part of what I eat. It's Absolutely. It's a huge part of my diet, particularly mm-hmm. growing up. That it, it just, it, you know, you're just, you're used to what you're used to. And it, it blows my mind when some people just don't eat it. Yeah. Diets around it. The, exactly. I, I'll never, there are a few cultures that exist that don't base their diets around starch. Whether it's a grain, a starchy vegetable, a bean, or a lentil. I mean, it is the staff of life and to deny it, you know, without getting too philosophical, but it's, it it is, it is cutting ourselves off from our ancestral history Mm -hmm. to suddenly demonize these foods or remove them from our diet. Well, I, I, I've heard that, um, one or two Indian cultures refer to corns, beans, and squash as the three sisters. Yes. Staples that you could build civilizations. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't until you got to agriculture. That's what created civilizations was Mm -hmm. agriculture. Hunter-gatherer societies weren't really going to grow in size. It was the ability to stop, plant food, grow it. That's what led to societies, um, surplus time. Yeah, I mean, everything. The economy, trading and selling food. Um, There had to be... uh, Going back to actually religion and spirituality, I mean, there had to be religious rules and, and, and customs about food. So it had to be certain times of year you do this, certain times of year you do that, so you know how to plant and rotate your crops uh, to keep it going. So food is that driving engine that's created life as we currently know it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we take kind of a eh view against food where it's either an inconvenience or I'll just eat the cheapest thing I can find or... We kind of make it a badge of honor to see how much we can abuse our bodies with as much bad food as possible. Yeah, it's kind of like an event. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I got another question. Um, are GMOs safe? That's like the dirty word. Oh, That's yeah. the taboo. Um, you have a lot of uh, political progressives um, don't really know how to address the issue. Um, it can kind of help conservatives out in a lot of their arguments. They, they can c- criticize some progressive people or liberals of being mm-hmm. you know, anti-science. This is the one issue that they got. Oh, yeah. Right? But, uh, <laughs> are, are GMOs safe? The honest answer to that question is nobody knows. Okay. Because the companies that 
promote a lot of these genetically modified foods. And again, going back to our good friend Monsanto, which is the most associated company out there with genetically modified I food. Have commercials now. Oh, I know. I've seen a few of them. Yeah. I'd never in my life seen a GM commercial in the last maybe month I've started to see some of these. Yeah. Um, they don't allow studies to be done. Because the thing with genetically modified food is for the first time so in they, human... They control the entire process of studying. It's all... They own life. Okay. They've patented life. So for the first time in human history, you can claim to have the intellectual property of life. Because now I've genetically modified corn and I can call it my BT corn. I own that corn. Yeah. And so you, as, a, as an academic, I'm not letting you do studies on it because that's my property. Mm. So they do studies. Access is a huge issue. Oh, access is a huge issue. They do these 90-day studies, which is Bogus. no time. I mean, yeah. if I did a 90-day study on cigarettes, yeah, in 90 days, nobody's lungs are getting hurt. So I could come out and say tobacco's fine. Mm. You have to do long-term studies when it comes to health. So they do 90-day studies that are useless. Um, they put tremendous pressure, financial pressure on universities, especially land-grant institutions and Midwestern universities where they rely on a lot of funding from Monsanto or these other agricultural companies. And they'll tell them, we'll, we'll pull your funding if you start to do research on our products. And so they yeah. don't let their faculty or their graduate students do research on it. So we don't know if they're safe. Yeah. My biggest concern with GMOs beyond the what are we doing to the food, it's the creation of these genetically modified foods, again, at least from Monsanto, was to create what are called these Roundup-ready crops. Okay, what's that mean? So Roundup, you've probably seen at any, you know, at a Home Depot, Roundup is a broad-spectrum herbicide and, yeah. and pesticide. So if I douse it on plants, it's going to kill the plant as well as the pest. Yeah. So they have now genetically modified, they've taken a, a gene from a bacterium, which is where the BT comes from, and they've managed to insert it into the genome of corn, of soy, of a few other products, where now the crop is resistant to the Roundup. So I can flood my field with Roundup, it doesn't hurt the crop, and it kills all the pests. So we're able to get these High yeah, these seemingly high yields. So my concern is, my God, these pesticides. It's proven GM soy is has higher levels of pesticide residue than what's allowed by law. Um, we we kill all the beneficial insects, so we're destroying our um, ecology of the planet because we're just flooding these things. On the flip side now, now we create super pests. We create yeah. super bugs yeah, and resistant. super weeds that are resistant. Which means um, more chemicals. Yeah, which means now we need more chemicals. Um <laughs> And we also, there's, there's a compound in Roundup that are called glyphosates, and they chelate minerals. So there's question about whether these pesticides then bind up all the minerals in the soil and continue to make the soil useless and un, unable to produce life. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say to someone who says to you, well, you know, genetically modified rice saved uh, crops in the Philippines. These people right. had, you know, their entire, uh, their a large part of their uh, their intake, their their, um, their 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 wages came mm -hmm. from rice production. It would be destroyed by monsoons. Um, there's genetically modified rice, which enables them to uh, to make, enables the rice to survive the rainy season. High yields, more money. What do you have to say about something like that? Well, my thought with something like that is, if that process can be proven to be safe for the environment, safe for human consumption. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I know I probably have some friends and colleagues in the holistic field who would hate my answer, but mm -hmm. if it's not harming, 
my health, if it's not harming the health of the planet, if it's not um, overtly damaging, then there's probably nothing wrong with it. But the problem is, again, we know that there there's no studies that it's the look. We it's, don't know. We're in the dark, and since we, I think there are three states now that have finally passed. GM labeling laws. I believe the EU, the EU has uh, has passed uh, GM labeling. Absolutely. Um, China. China has laws about GM labeling that we don't have. Japan has GM labeling laws. So most of the European Union, many developing countries have either threshold level laws or outright bans against genetically modified food. But there's such a special interest power here in the United States. There's so much lobbying happening with GM foods, with Monsanto, that... No one's changing these policies, and so the most genetically modified crops are things like corn or things like soy. There's questions about wheat. So if I'm not eating those foods organic, essentially they're genetically modified. Okay. Um, it, the, 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 the likelihood that I'm eating them genetically modified is much higher than I'm not. Uh, and again, if, if, if it can be proven that these foods aren't harmful, excellent, but the the way they're grown since there's such cavalier use of pesticides it's we know that is harmful there's concern about allergenicity are these creating all these food allergies the unintended consequences exactly nothing happens in a vacuum yeah. so what are the larger ripple effects that occur these companies won't let larger scale studies be done so we just don't know so the, the, if i ask the question uh is organic food better than GMOs? It's a big question mark. Yeah. We, but we, we just, we don't know. We don't know. So your, your, your solution to the problem, obviously it's a complicated issue, just government oversight, mm -hmm. uh, more money going towards the study of this, uh, the government being able to have access to these certain materials. Um, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit I don't have the amount of money Monsanto gives to politicians. <laughs> yeah. Sure it's, uh, it's substantial. Money mm -hmm. in politics is a huge, huge issue that we're dealing with uh, in, in this country. Um. So I guess the problem with GMOs is basically just the profit motive. Companies don't want to give up control. Mm -hmm. They um, maybe it's not profitable for them to uh, to, to print GMO labels labeling. I also heard it's actually cheaper to recall recall food um, after uh, after there's been problems, like if there's an E. coli scare. It's actually cheaper to recall food than to actually put the uh, system in place to make sure that the food is healthy. I didn't know that. That is, that is mind-blowing. I, I heard Marion Marian Nestle I'll, say that today. I it, mean, it, it blows my mind. It's, it's depressing. Um, yeah. The USDA doesn't actually have the power even to recall food. All they can really do is suggest it because when these recall laws were put in, you know, all these industries came in, they, they made sure that the politicians they fund were in power and they repealed it. So the very organization that is supposed to protect us against foodborne illness and unsafe food habits is toothless. I mean, it yeah. can't help us. And so it, it's just incredible. And again, it, it does come down to profit. And yeah, companies have to make profit. Uh, an economy wouldn't be sustainable if it couldn't, you know, uh, uh, support itself. But the thing with genetically modified food, at least, is now that they claim the intellectual property of these seeds, and again, nothing happens in a vacuum. So if I'm growing GM corn and you're growing organic corn, and our farms are 50 miles apart, but the breeze blows pollen from my fields into yours, and Monsanto sends out these testers and they test people's fields, 
and now they'll see, well, your corn has my genes in it. You're in violation of patent law. Yeah. And you either have to now sell my product or I'll take you to court. They for... just gobble up the smaller, uh, the smaller competitors. Absolutely. So much, so much for capitalism. Oh, no. And then they put farmers and they put seed savers and others on blacklists if they don't use their products. Um, and it's just this incredible bullying tactic, this incredible just we'll keep strangling you with our money until you can't afford your lawyer bills anymore and then we win yeah i've heard this a lot of the same thing goes with uh, animal farming mm. they tie these small farmers up they used to have family farms they tie them up in these contracts they uh only pay them so much money it costs a lot of money to upgrade they have to always meet meet the demand and so on and so forth yeah. and they end up crushing a lot of uh a lot of mom and pops but you know these aren't the things that you really you really hear about un unfortunately no um Here's, here's another question I want to ask you. If I was a student interested in taking your class, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And I would say, what is your absolute favorite thing to talk about within the realm of nutrition okay. or food politics or w within the entire realm of, of things you, you, you know? What, what would be the one thing related to that where you're like, you know, this is what I want to talk about. This is what I'm going to sell to you. This is what I feel good talking about. That I would say the thing that I my my whole thing I do whether it's in my clinical work or my academic work is I really love the idea of empowerment. Okay. It all comes down to empowerment. So how can we use nutrition, how can we use the politics of foods as a way that empower us? So when I'm talking to people about their dietary habits from a medical nutrition point of view, I want whether it's a student or a, or a patient outpatient, it's how do we do so in a way that we make our food something that empowers us or something that we feel in control about? Or if we're talking to people about food politics, which can get a little doom and gloom uh, and depressing when we realize just how much of this is tied up in, in bureaucracy and money. But what can we do that's empowering? And so there's this great organization out there called Climate Healers. And the man that helped to create it, uh, Sohil Rao, I believe his name is, um, he brings up Gandhi and he brings up Gandhi's Khadi clothes movement. Okay. And the Khadi movement in India when Gandhi came to India was, uh, you know, British imperialism, British control of India. What do we do about it? You know, the, the politicians weren't doing anything. Nobody was doing anything. So what Gandhi did is he got people to start to wear Khadi clothing, which is cotton grown in India, spun by people there, made by Indian uh, families and businesses. And they stopped buying. Boycotted the uh, the imported. Yeah, they, the imported garments, since they weren't. And so, within a few years, they had this the British Empire begging him to negotiate because it had such economic disaster by doing one thing. So they didn't they didn't pass laws, they didn't pass referendums, they didn't. All they did was say we're buying different clothes. Mm -hmm. And so that is something I try to get across to people, whether it's from a medical nutrition point of view or a political point of view, is. We, if we wait for the political powers to align and create the kind of regulations we want, we'll die waiting. Mm -hmm. our, we'll, we'll, our environment will suffer. Our we health will suffer. We can't wait for somebody else to do it. And we don't need to do anything more than simply say, I'm not buying that food anymore. Mm -hmm. From whether it's genetically modified food, whether it's animal-based agriculture food, whatever it is that our, our personal passion may be. Just to shift the money we're spending on what foods we buy, we can absolutely create the same thing here. So rather than wait for there to be a pill for my condition, I'm just going to eat the food I need to eat for it. Rather than wait for politicians to pass 
animal agriculture laws that are better for the environment, more sustainable. I'm just not buying that food. And so we each of us have the unbelievable power to affect that kind of change and to really make this a social movement that within a few years, who knows, we could really create something powerful. But if we keep outsourcing the responsibility to somebody else, it's never going to change. Okay. Um, definitely. Uh, I always tell my students, government is a tool. <clears throat> government is not good. Government is not bad. Government is, a, is an instrument to be used in, you know, by the wielder. That, that's why um, action is important. And if government doesn't help you out, there are other routes you can take to, uh, to affect change. What is your favorite food to eat or prepare? Oh, God. <laughs> because I, I love to eat myself, and I recently started cooking for myself. Um, there, there is a, a lot of peace in preparing food for yourself. Oh, it's yeah. It's very relaxing. It's, it's zen. I mean... Um, it can be a good form of expression also. It is. It's a way to feel creative. It's a way to feel connected. Um, you know, we live in a disconnected mindless culture right now it's nice to feel united with something outside of ourselves i do like a nice pot of soup <laughs> there's just something about it that is so wonderful um on a cold day I spe yeah especially moving into this time of year now um it requires very little culinary skill mm -hmm. so again with the idea of empowering so there possible. you go <laughs> but so um uh kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier about um making food trendy and hipster and and for the celebrities um rather than feel as though i've got to buy a thousand cookbooks and learn to and buy all this special equipment anybody if you can boil water you can make a soup and so you can put your beans your veggies your sweet potato whatever it's a way to start to prepare our food and again i think it's a political statement i mean to say i'm making this i'm not looking for anybody else to prepare this for me I, I know what's coming into it. Um, and there's just something, whether it comes back to our childhood or whether it's something more in our collective consciousness about something like a pot of soup, a soup or stew or something like that, just being nourishing, being medicine, being healing. Um, and, and it's an expression of love. It's an expression of compassion, whether you're making it for yourself or you're making it for somebody else. Um, but I mean, I eat, I could eat that every single day. There's just something about it that is, What's your favorite soup? Uh, um, oh, goodness, my favorite. I would say a good pot of like a red lentil soup is something I make constantly. Okay. Um, full of like onion and garlic and ginger and curry powder. And I always put cauliflower in there because it makes it super velvety. Um, <laughs> I, and then the lentils, they dissolve into this like thick velvety body. It is just... I. Oh, I could eat that for every meal, and it would give me such happiness. Is there any food you miss since you changed your diet, like eggs? Oh, that's a great, you know, because I get this question a lot, and I will say in the first, I've, I've been eating a plant-based diet now for somewhere around 15 years, wow. give or take. In those first few years, maybe two, three years, I mean, my parents used to, like, get me to do things by saying, if you do this, we'll buy you a steak. Wow. Like, I loved my animal food. I loved donuts. I loved all that stuff. Um, and again, I, I just, I've always had such a passion for it. I mean, it was, that was my currency of choice. You so, love food or you don't. I exactly, mean, right? People, I love food. <laughs> and so when I, when I started to remove these foods from my diet, there was definitely a sense of mourning of lossing those foods. Since my initial interest was so much about my health and I'm a very 
tell me once kind of a person. So, so to answer your question in my long-winded response, that's okay. No, <laughs> no, that, that's great um, though. Because some people long, long for. Well, let me ask yeah. you another question. Um, how do you feel about like imitation meat? Like, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm the kind of guy I like everything, right? right? So if you tell me this is imitation hot dog, whatever, man, I'll eat it. It's yeah. delicious. I'll, I'll eat it. Um, usually, I'm like, I would rather just have vegetables prepared as vegetables than something prepared as imitation mm -hmm. meat. But it can be really good. Oh, Tofu, yeah. seitan, all that stuff can be really delicious. But I, did you eat like the imitation meat? When I first started to eat a more plant-based diet, absolutely. I yeah. bought my Boca burgers. I bought the veggie. <laughs> like methadone, chicken. Right? Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just, just slowly um, weaning yourself off. I, I bought my tofu, tofu ice cream, all yeah. that stuff. And it. so I look at them as they're helpful transitional foods. If I'm really trying to eat That's more. That's a good way to look at yeah. transitional food. Um, and so I would say, I mean, for the first good five years, I was probably eating a lot of those foods. And they, especially because that was college. And so I was kind of slightly at the mercy of what my uh, dining hall was preparing. But yet they helped me maintain a plant-based diet while not feeling so thrown asunder by it. Yeah. Since then, um, as my turkey. tastes continue to change, yeah, not cold turkey. I mean, if you have a very serious health condition where you've got to go like 100%, yeah. okay. But for the most part, you know, make it kind to yourself. Um, but recently in the last several years, I don't crave them anymore. Frankly, they really upset my, my stomach if I eat them. They don't give me the kind of pleasure that they would have yeah. a decade ago. Um, you know, our bodies change, our tastes change, our brains regulate our craving for certain things as we change our diet. So over the course of time, like I don't smell anything and say, oh, I miss that or yeah. anything. I would have 15 years ago, but not so much anymore in that I just... I like the way that I feel. I like my sleep. I like yeah. the, f the foods that I cook. I like how they taste now. Um, and so, but it is a process and it's not anything to get too self aggressive about in terms of, you know, what I tell my students or my outpatients or people all the time is just add, focus on adding first, you know, okay. rather than think, oh my God, this guy's telling me I can't drink milk and I can't eat eggs. Just add stuff. Um, Add sweet potatoes, white potatoes, beans, add all these uh, whole grains, all these things in and just start with those and they will slowly crowd out other foods, whether it's more animal based food or processed food. And it never turns into me saying I'm not allowing myself to eat it. It's yeah. just I'm full. I, I filled myself up or I just slowly reducing the volume in my diet, I, I think that's a better way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I drink lots of water, and I actually get a lot of joy. Um, you know, like I said, I, I like to eat. I'm a, I'm a foodie or whatever you want to call me. So for someone like me, it's like I, you know, instead of, you know, freaking out over that cheeseburger I see over mm -hmm. the TV, it's like, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay back. I'm going to maybe grill some veggies. Yeah, just, there's a whole process of oh, preparing yeah. what you want to mm -hmm. eat. And instead of fantasizing about junk food, you could sit there and you could say, you know what? I'm going to take pleasure and just what I, what I want to prepare and, and what I want to eat. I, I, I That helps me out a lot. Like, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll think about quesadilla. I want a quesadilla. So I'll make the beans, grill the veggies, and so on and so forth, and that, that helps out a big part. Um, here's a question I like to eat, I'd ask vegans. Do you eat honey? <laughs> um, I don't buy honey, Okay, but I'll eat it if it's there. Like if so, like somebody gave us a gift once of local honey, I have used it. Like My thing with honey is there are... And, I, and again, people disagree with this all the time and they have every right to, but... It's not a monolithic thing. Exactly. Like, there are bigger things affecting thing our health. The vegans. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> and that's why I actually like to use the term plant-based more and many okay. people is because the vegan and I have no I have no problem identifying or being called a vegan, but vegan can sometimes have very specific connotations bring up where people have very strong emotional reactions to that word where like if I have a belt and it's made of leather, am I not a vegan anymore? Uh, yeah, I've heard that one. You know, and I remember being at dinner once with friends and somebody I pulled my wallet out and they're like, is that a leather wallet? I was like, I, I don't know. And they were so mad. Like, how dare you buy that leather wallet? And so I like plant-based because the idea is I am basing my diet on plants. So, so I choose to base my diet 100% on plant foods. Other people, maybe it's 90% of their diet, 80% of their diet. But so with honey, I don't want the bees hurt. I don't yeah. want anything harm. There's no rape racks. For yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, And there's a lot of people that are raising honeybees that are trying to help with crop diversity and biodiversity to help save the collapse of bee colonies that we've been finding. So if you out there are a vegan and don't eat honey, awesome. But I, I, there are bigger fish to fry. There are much bigger topics out there related to what's really affecting our health. What's really killing the environment. Um, What's affecting us as human beings, yeah. you know, Splitting then hairs at this point. exactly. And I think the infighting that occurs about that, whether it's honey or this or that, it just, it kills the momentum of it's this movement. Element. Absolutely. Where it's like, that's, that's to me, that is privilege where yeah. you have got obviously a lot of time on your hands to yeah. debate honey with me. Like okay. you, you have got, you've clearly got a lot of free time. Leave honey alone. Yeah. Like it's. There are bigger things that we can be using our energy for versus that. So, <laughs> so I don't mind it. I, I I don't go out of my way for it, and I understand the reason why some people avoid it very diligently. But I I believe there's more to gain from other animal derived foods than the honey. Okay, that's cool. Um, what are some books, films, or websites that you would recommend? What some things that you recommend to your students? Is there a textbook that you use? Are there websites? Are there certain journals that you tell your students? You know, you're going to want to yeah. look at, at some of these. So, some of the well, one thing I've done this semester is I actually got rid of all the textbooks. Okay. Um, part of the reason being is that there's so much new information coming out that. I, I try to have it's them. It's a scientific field. Yeah, so it's like constantly it's constantly changing. And so again, like Marion Nestle. So with the book, anything written by Marion Nestle. Nestle. By the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which Nestle. is ironic. Um, anything by she is one of the most eloquent, brilliant writers about food and politics out there. Um, I I actually use a lot of the only film I show in my politics of food class is Food Inc. I've heard of that one. Okay. So I would say Food Inc. is a great one. It's about seven or eight years old now, but it's excellent. I remember when that came out. Yeah, I mean, it, it really was a paradigm shifter. Um, that, it was based on a book, right? Well, there's a book that has since come out that is a companion book to it. Okay. So the book Food Inc. is also a great book to have. And you also said Cowspiracy. Cowspiracy. Um, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, Forks Over Knives is a great movie. It's about the dietary and health impact of our food choices. So not as political as Food Inc. and not as planetary and environmental as Cowspiracy, but more from the health point of view. Um, there's actually a great book that just came out uh, called Proteinaholic. Okay. It's, it's a book? It's a book. Proteinaholic. Just came Proteinaholic by Dr. Garth Davis and Dr. Howard uh, Jacobson. And it's about our obsession with protein. 
Yeah, a lot, and, a lot of lifters and muscle heads out there. Absolutely. Or I, I like I like lifting. That's me. Oh, I mean, and that's the thing. <laughs> there are great uh, um, uh, bodybuilders out there yeah. that. Uh, like people, like one of my favorites is he's not really a bodybuilder, but um, Frank Madrano. Okay. If you want to see somebody who looks like they're carved out of mahogany, yeah. but they eat only plant foods. Okay. A great way to dispel the whole you can't grow muscle on a vegan diet. Yeah, I mean, people thing. think bodybuilders. I guess they think of that old film Pumping Iron from mm-hmm. the '70s. Bodybuilders sitting around eating piles of ground beef and yeah. potatoes. It doesn't need to be that way. Oh no, absolutely. And I mean, but also that there are people who are trying to lose weight. Through these high protein, low carbohydrate diets, and how counterproductive that can be, but very easy to read. He, he they, they did a great job taking all this science and making it very user friendly. But that has been a really nice one. I've been recommending that to everybody. Um, trying to think if there's some other really good one. Um, again, kind of an older one now, um, but there is actually a book called Fatland. Fatland. Yeah, Fatland. Like and it's a lot of it about our food industry, fast food, especially, uh, fast food nation. Eric Schlosser is a great book. Um, there's another one there. It's rattling around on my head and I just can't turn it into an actual word. It'll come to me. Um, what did you think? Oh, of, heck. Uh, what did you think of supersize me? <laughs> uh, supersize me. I really like that. I heard, cause part of the problem with McDonald's I've heard is not so much. Okay. The burger's not healthy. Mm-hmm. The burger's only 500 plus calories. So if you're just eating the burger, that's one thing. But once you Add in the soda and the fries with mm-hmm. the grease and whatever it else. You know, if you get the salad, I heard the salad is fine, but once you add the dressing, it's worse than, than the hamburger. The salad has more saturated fat and calories than the burger does. Unbelievable. So, yeah, well, Super Size Me I thought was great. And, I mean, and that's the thing is McDonald's gets a lot of bad rap, but it's really <laughs> any fast food restaurant. It's yeah. to make food cheap, it can't be made well. And... There are ways I, that to make fast food healthier, but again, going back to like farm subsidies, you know, if corn is cheap, I'm going to feed my cow a lot of corn, yeah. and that's going to change the nutritional profile of the corn. If corn is cheap, I'm going to fry everything in corn oil. If um, corn is cheap, I'm going to use it to sweeten all of my products. And so, fast food in large, yeah, any one item if I eat probably isn't going to be detrimental to my health, but it's the blizzard or it's the mcflurry or it's the frosty on top of the burger on top of the fries i think i'm doing myself a favor and i get the salad with the insane salad dressing that's just nothing but fat it's so what i liked about his documentary what i liked about that movie was it really just started to show people like this is fatland i'm sorry this is a super size me oh super yeah i'm sorry sorry. um just, you know, what's in our food? You know, it, he he never tells anybody, don't eat it. He yeah. just says, are you at least aware of what it is? And it's I think sugar. sugar and salt and fat, um, that's what it is. I'm sorry. There's a great book out there um, called uh, Mindless Eating, which Mindless is one of my eating? favorites. And this is a book? This is a book. Um, and it's about how disconnected we are to our food and how that lack of awareness, that lack of connection to our food is so contributory to obesity and all the health yeah. issues we're finding with it's it is such a great book food like gathering food used to be such a part of every human's existence in mm-hmm. life it, it's you could never go to a farm never go hunting or, or whatever never set foot in slaughterhouse i don't think you'd want to yeah just not have anything to do with food production at all and, and still live a, a, a life and be able to consume whatever you want it's it's interesting absolutely um, you have any cheat foods <laughs> um do I have any cheat foods? 
This probably, oh my god, I'm trying to think. You might be unbreakable. Andy. I, I, but again, this has been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, my definition of a cheat food, I'm sure this is going to cause a lot of eye rolls, is there's a product out there called Lara Bars. If you've ever seen a no, Lara I've Bar, Lara it's Bar. it's just nuts and dried fruit ground up together. And that's the, what you like. That that that's for me is like, a, ooh, I'm going to treat myself to a Lara Bar. But again, that is, that has been a long that has been a process, but. With, 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 what has allowed I'm trying to think if I used to have some really good one I gotta tell you chips and salsa is something that if I'm in a restaurant like, like corn chips like, yeah like, like corn chips like nachos yeah right. like like deep fried they're covered in salt if I'm in a restaurant and they serve Something's those corn tortilla it chips. takes a lot of self control to not just devour that yeah. um, and I've gotta be yeah so things like that I've always had more of a salt tooth than a sweet tooth okay so Desserts and things like that, I never have a craving for. So but that's like, good. that definitely helps. It you does. Sweets, but I mean, like you know, those sorts of foods. Those used to get me. You know, those used to be my my go to. Uh, my my recent incarnation of cheat food, things like that, is I just don't. I don't want it. You're I hate. Man. I just. But it's all, again. It kind of comes back. I think to awareness of. I hate the way I feel after it. Or I. I don't like what it does to my mood or to my personality. So I, I like feeling good and the years of this have helped me be more craving that good feeling versus the momentary hit of pleasure that something more processed or something more, more chemicalized is going to give me. Okay. Wrapping it up. Uh, where do you get your news from? Do you read a lot of journals? I'm a real big podcaster now. Okay. Um, I, I've come, I mean, I'm, I'm, there are some that I really love and follow. And the thing that I like about the, about kind of the podcast format is that they are often very up to date in terms of nothing against news media. It's crazy. There's not as much, um, what's sort I'm looking for? There's not as much concern about like industry bias yeah. with things like news, um, it's hard it's hard to get the kind of news i'm looking for from an organization that isn't going to be so biased by by either political interest groups or special interest groups that i'm going to have a problem with same thing with websites i'm just not in front i'm not stationary enough to follow a lot of webs i drive a lot with my work and so i love the podcast format cuz i just what, what podcast do you like some of the ones that i really like um i'm trying to think what are some of my go-to ones? I love the TED Radio Hour. Okay. What I really like about it is it forces me to listen to things that aren't just food and nutrition focused so that it keeps my horizons broader because left to my own devices, it's all I'll do. My brother will get mad at me if I haven't read like a novel in a while or something. Like, <laughs> it has to be something besides the latest like food or nutrition book. But All, all I read are my politics textbooks. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, all, I'm, the, all the news I read is... It keeps me open. <laughs> but um, This American Life I love. Okay. Um, On Being is a... It used to be called um, Speaking of Faith, but it is now called On Being. And it's a, it's a radio program, but I listen to it in the podcast. And it's about the human experience. And um, what I really like about it is... It, it talks about things like consciousness, like spirituality, like religious practices, um, the meaning of life from a very broad point of view. So she'll have Jesuit priests come in. She'll have atheists come in. She'll have physicists come in. She'll have poets come in. Just talking about the human experience and the human condition. And that, that, that podcast has made me such a more... I think compassionate and more broad-minded person just 
all of the people that she's brought in I love. From nutrition point of view, there's uh, a great one called the Plant Yourself by Howard Jacobson. Um, is a really great one that I just recently discovered, but I downloaded every single one that iTunes would let me. Um, the Rich Roll podcast is another great one about a little bit about food and nutrition, but he brings in other people that are talking about other aspects of, of experience, of health, of humanity, of what's going on out there. Um, am I forgetting? Oh, and I love Radiolab. Yeah, w- I was WNYC. WNYC Radio Lab. That is, I wish they would update it more because I, I just devour. Nothing's worse than when you're into a podcast and they're not, or if they're late for a week or something like that. They're like, we're going on vacation. I feel like I'm going through withdrawal. I, I'm, like people talk about TV, I'm like, yeah, well, did you catch up on whatever podcast? Yeah, it, it's crazy. So <laughs> I know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask one last question. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to live healthy? The advice that I would give to somebody is start with what you already know how to do. To be healthy does not require you to abandon your culture, your background, your skill set. You don't have to start shopping at Whole Foods. You don't have to start doing anything new than you already know how to do. Simply start to change the proportion of the food you eat. If you eat a diet that is very rich in more animal-based foods, just start to switch the proportions. If I normally eat yogurt and berries for breakfast in the morning eat a giant bowl of berries with a little bit of yogurt so it's not anything it's just switching the proportionality and i'm not one to ever talk about portion control i don't believe in portion control but it's just the proportionality of food if if i know how to make a really great stir fry just if it's usually a lot of beef with some broccoli make it a ton of broccoli and peppers and onions and ginger and garlic with a little bit of beef Mm. just start to switch what you already know how to make what you already have time to make, what your work and life schedule allows, and just switch the proportionality of it. That, start there. It will change your food bill, if nothing else. You'd be amazed at how much money you start to save. But what it does for your health, what it does for your sleep, and again, it, it, it's you doing it for yourself. Um, there, are, there are food delivery systems out there. I'm not a big fan of them. I, I could eat at restaurants, and there are restaurants I love that serve pretty healthy food, but it's not making me more engaged in my eating. So just taking what I like you like that engaging. Yeah, it's it's just being present with it. And so I would say if you can just take what you already do and just start to switch the proportionality, start to switch the proportion of plant food in your diet, start there and just watch to see what happens. Within three, four weeks, you'll be amazed at how you feel. And then the ripple effect that that happens is now that I feel better, maybe I can exercise a bit more because I don't ache. I don't have as much inflammation. My shoulders aren't so tight or I'm going to cook more because now I've started to actually like what I'm cooking and I've got a little more energy. And so I am going to experiment with some different things or try a different restaurant or read a different book. Again, um, Thich Nhat Hanh is this amazing um, Vietnamese Buddhist monk who I read and follow quite deeply. Um, And he talks about this idea of interbeing, which is everything is made of everything else. And everything we do ripples out again into every other aspect of our life. So just to change the ingredient ratio in your cooking, it starts there, but it will interbe with everything else you do. Your outlook, your your mood, your feelings, your sleep, everything else changes as a result. Definitely has reflected your own experience in life. Very much so. Okay. Um, sounds great. Uh, do you have any social media that we can follow you or get you at? Um, you are on Instagram. I, I was going to say the, the one that I'm... You drive me nuts with the stuff you <laughs> post on Instagram. 
How can we follow you on Instagram? <laughs> if you want to look at a lot of photos of food I make, you can go to Anthony Disson RD. That's my handle on Instagram. And you can see if it's not a photo of my food, it'll be a random photo of my dog at some point. <laughs> sounds cool. It sounds good. Anthony Disson RD. And that's Instagram. That, and that's the best one. Absolutely. Sounds great. Anthony, thanks for joining us today. And, uh, I mean, I feel like we, we, we covered a lot, but unfortunately, it's still only the tip of the iceberg. Yes. Thanks for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one last message before we go. I want to remind you that you can always follow us on Twitter, at Perez Podcast. You can email us at perezpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Modernity and Absurdity. And we are always available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Please tell a friend about us. Take care of yourselves out there. This is your chance. After this, there is no turn. You take the blue pill. Story ends. You wake up in your bed. Whatever you want. You take the red pill. Stay in Wonderland. dictatorship, it'd be a heck of a lot easier, <laughs> just so long as I'm the dictator. <laughs> talking about peace.